You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum or Baum. Baum. Depends on how you want to say it. If you're my dad listening, you probably won't like if I say Baum. <laughs> That's your name? It's Baum. You're Rosenbaum. Oh, man. You're vaxxed, dude. Vaxxed. Uh, Ryan's yeah. vaxxed, which means we could be in here safely. And, you know, after this, uh, maybe we'll end this whole thing, this episode, on the outro with a hug. Yeah, I mean, we got to wait. I, I'm still in my two-week... You're not two weeks yet? No. So I can't hug you. Not till the 20th. All right, so stay tuned, because on the 20th, uh, he's going to get hugged. Uh Uh-huh. Hard. Yeah. Have you had a good week? Good weekend? Yeah. I mean, fine so far. Are you stressed? Are you? I mean, always, but, you know, it's nice to be double vaxxed, and uh, the the stressful part is figuring out how to re-enter the world, and now that things are going to happen again. Yeah, how do you slowly get back into it? How how do do you you do it? You know, can you give a, you know, an elbow bump? You know, can you do a fist bump? Yeah. Can we do it? Oh, it's the Laker game and you have to wear a mask. They don't let food or drink at your seat. Mm-hmm. So you had to have a drink before you walked to your seats. It was odd, but nonetheless, it was, it was fun. It was nice to be at a, a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Jeannie Buss for the, for the tickets. And uh, it was, it was fun. Name drop. A serious name drop. Well, I have to, cause we're friends actually. I'm friends with her. So it's like, you know, you oh, that's cool. call it a name drop if you want. If my best friend was Sylvester Stallone, I'd say, hey, oh, <laughs> shout out to my boy, Sylvester. It's only the only, it's only the owner of the entire damn team. <laughs> she, you wouldn't know it. She's so damn laid back and cool. And you know why we became friends? Because many moons ago, I was at a party, a Lakers party that I was invited to for the WB or something. And um, this woman came up to me with her friend and she was really nervous. And uh, she was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I really like the show. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. And I was just like a dude. I was a regular guy. And she was just a girl. And there was just two people talking. I, didn't, I had no clue to who she is on my mother's life i swear to you i had no idea because i'd never been to a a basketball game i didn't know anything about the lakers really and she goes here here's my card if you ever want to come to the lakers game and she walked away and i go it's a genie bus vice president at the time she was vice president now she's the president and i go holy shit my friend roger's like you should probably call her man (laughs) he talks like that he's like hey man you should probably call her so i emailed her and I said, hey, you gave me your card. I don't know what. And she goes, how many tickets do you need? I had four friends. Valet treated me like a damn king. Got there, sat behind them, actually. Uh, and we had so much fun. And she just was like, you're just so cool and such a regular guy. And, uh, you know, you didn't know who I was. And I really liked that you were just so nice anyway. And you're invited to whenever you want to come to a game, you're invited. And so now it's been 15, 20 years, whatever it is. I go to any game I want now. It's a, it's a luxury. It's an amazing, it's a, one of those things. It's just a lucky thing that happened in my life. Very grateful. But I remember it was game seven. I go, I'm in town. Good luck tomorrow night. She goes, you're coming, right? And I go to game seven of the NBA finals against the Celtics. She goes, yeah, I got you. You have four tickets, whatever you want. She's amazing. She's just an amazing human being, and she's always been so nice to my friends, and uh, so thank you. So name drop, the drop, 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 drop. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. If you want to subscribe, just go to YouTube and type in Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, and then subscribe. Um, we also have great clips. If you want to watch clips from other episodes or full episodes, I prefer you watch the whole episode. Um, and subscribe, please do. And you can also 
Um, subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and please write a review. Please subscribe if you're here for the lovely Charisma Carpenter and you dig the podcast. It means a, a huge amount. I've been doing this podcast for a while. I'm not one of these people who just jumped on the bandwagon and during the pandemic and God bless him. But uh, I'd really appreciate the uh, subscription. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know um, what you mean. Also the socials, Ryan, give them the social media handles. You got at inside of you pod on Twitter at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook. There you go. And uh, the band Sunspin, my band Sunspin, just go to sunspin.com and we're playing May 29th, Saturday, May 29th, two shows. You can get tickets, uh, go to sunspin.com. You can also book us for Zooms and book the band. There's tons of merch. If you want any inside of you um, swag, swag, go to the online inside of you online store. You can get uh, even Smallville lunchbox or some Lex Luthor autographs, inside of you hats, shirts, uh, all that stuff's there. Also, you can join the lovely Patreon. I, w- I don't know what I would do without my patrons. And uh, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's pretty amazing. Ask anybody. If you want to subscribe and do a little bit extra for the podcast, um, you can join. There's different tiers. You get merch from me. You get to ask guest questions. There's bonus episodes. Brian and I are going to do a bonus episode today. Oh, yay. So just go to patreon.com slash inside of you and join. And I will write you a message as soon as I see that you're there. I'll see your message. I'll see that you became a patron and I will message you back. Um, today's episode is, is, a, is a good one. Um, Charisma Carpenter, she, uh, she's lovely. She opens up. She had some thoughts uh, about me before she got to know me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> well, we, we talked about that. Uh, we talked about her divorce. Uh, she was very open and uh, a little bit about Joss Whedon, um, uh, her 13 year old son who she loves dearly, but was, I guess could be a dick. <laughs> what are you doing, mom? And I'm like, why don't you look at him and say, what are you doing? I'm 13. 13 year olds are 13 year olds can go at you. They can. They're fearless. What do you do, man? I can't imagine with a 13 year old. I go, Hey, you better not. What did you, what, what? I don't know, man. That's one age I think about a lot that I do not miss. I do not miss being 13. Yeah, I don't remember what it was like to be 13. I'm sure I was a little dick. <laughs> My parents were dicks, too. It's not a good mix. Me being a dick and the, their dicks as well. It's a lot of dicks flapping around. A lot of big dicks. Uh, I love you guys. I love you uh, listening to the podcast and staying with us and sticking with us and all that jazz. A lot of great stuff coming up. A lot of great guests coming up. Um, big shout out to Ryan and Bryce. And... um it's not Westwood One anymore. It's mm. Cumulus. Mm. It's Cumulus now. All right. And uh, they're running the show. They're uh, they're uh, they're helping us out and giving us a lot of love. So anyway, thanks. Why don't we just jump into it? Let's get inside of Charisma Carpenter. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. You know what's amazing is, uh, you know, I've known you. I mean, when I say no, I mean, it's not like we've been close friends for a long time, but we know of each other for many, many years. And yeah. we've always been very like, hey, and we see each other at conventions and it's fun. But like you, you, you when you start to look someone up and all their stuff and you realize, I don't know this person at all. <laughs> not only That's what I, I felt when we did my con together. I was like, 
you were telling all these amazing stories and I just feel like I've been missing out all this time to, by not digging deeper into who you are and getting to know you more and making a bigger effort. I know. But what's amazing is, is like, you've had such a great and cool career and cool, like cool shows like Veronica Mars and charmed and Buffy and angel. And like, you've done movies with Stallone and you've done like so much stuff. And then I look and I'm like, Holy shit, she's faced a lot of adversity too. I mean, she's like went through a divorce, you you know, the whole uh toxic work environment thing you've been through. And then I read about the the thing that's been public knowledge that you've probably talked about it ad nauseum, but the whole uh former police officer who yeah. attacked you and your friends on a beach who was a serial raper who like got sentenced to 50 something years in prison and you kind of closed the case with uh it just I mean, it's I didn't know any of this shit. It's a lot. I know. I packed a lot of life in my 50 years. Yeah. Do you feel like now that you've faced all these things, do you feel sort of, uh, I don't know, empowered in a way? Like you've, I, look, like I've been through it. I know how to deal with this. I've been through the darkest of times. I can get out of any other dark times you got. Do you feel that way or do you still get sort of, are you still that's, sensitive at all? That's a great question. I'm not sure that it's like, you know, it's funny you ask that because I have a friend named Brett who survived cancer. And once he survived cancer, he's just like, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Like nothing matters. It is not a big deal. You know, like there are just no big deals. And for me, I think it's the opposite. I feel like everything's a big deal. I feel like everything is important. I feel people deserve, you know, justice is important. I'm very big on justice. Yeah. And doing the right thing and making the world a little bit of a better place. Uh, so I feel it heightened my sense of um, responsibility to my fellows and yeah. to be a good citizen and to do the right thing and to use my platforms in those ways. And to call out bullshit and to call out, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's got to be hard to be on the Internet. And, you know, even like we always which, oh, should I not say this? Everybody's sensitive. Should I say this? Is this going to hurt somebody's feelings? Or, you know, and to be brave enough to, you know, do what you did recently, which we could talk about later if you want. But it's just like to use it as a platform to express yourself and help people is a much cooler thing than to just throw out stuff out there and go, oh, look, laugh at me, like me, love me. It's it's a very delicate situation. Some of that in there too. <laughs> yeah, well, you do do that. You, you have a lot of funny stuff. Like I just read, uh, one of your tweets about Jeff Goldblum, another cool story, how he called you up for, what was it for? Uh, hideaway. For Hideaway? Yeah, it was that movie way back when. Yeah. Right. And he called you up because he wanted you to audition. So Jeff Goldblum calls you up. Did you did you know he was going to call you? Did someone say Jeff? I did. I did. So I used to belong to Playhouse West on Lancashire. It's um, where Robert Carnegie was the acting teacher. That's where, that was my formal sort of, theater um dalliance or where i learned to act i guess and he taught um sanford meisner technique so i guess jeff goldblum was on the board of that theater and um i guess robert had told jeff to come and audit or he they had had some sort of conversation that they were jeff is going to do a movie and maybe he mentioned that he wanted to book somebody and so I think maybe Robert had given him word to come and see me. So he came and audited a class that I was in. And then after class pulled me aside and said, you know, I'm, 
I'm uh, going to be in this movie and I'm looking for somebody to be my daughter. And I, I would really love to bring you in to audition. I can send you the script if you're interested, if you, if you feel like you're ready for that or whatever. And I said, I am. And so he said, great. And so he sent me the script and then later called, had his office, you know, had his office send it and then later called to say, Hey, are you ready? Is there, do you have any questions? Do you, you know, cause I'd never been in an audition before. Like that was literally Michael, that was like, that was the, the audition that changed my life because I had been in acting class. I had done the, the Sanford Meisner technique. I learned about like listening and how important it is and being in the moment and like all of these things, right? So you're in acting class and you're working on it and you know, like, you know, when you're in a scene with somebody, when you're just on fire, right? When it's just so smooth and you don't feel like you're acting, you're, you're actually being in the scene. So I go into this audition and I'm reading the scene with Jeff Goldblum and I, it's my first audition ever in my life and he's playing my dad. And then at one point he just stood up. And stood over me because I'm like this rebellious teen. And he stood over me like a dad would do. And he's also a very large, tall man. Yeah. And he's so in the moment. And when he stood up, it was like nobody else was in the room. It was him and I having a full-on, full-on argument about what I will and will not do. And I'm not having it. And it I just, I just was. So in the moment, living moment to moment, listening, hearing, playing off of him. And we were done and the scene was over. I left that building. It was over on Warner Brothers. It was actually on the lot at Warner Brothers. And I'm walking between warehouses and I say to myself, this is what I'm meant to do. I don't care if I get this part. That was the most amazing experience. I was doing exactly what I've been training to do. Wow. I can do this. This is my destiny. What if it was a shitty audition? Would you have felt the same way? I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> Cause that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what I see. That's how my mind works. I always think, okay, you were great last night, but you're going to suck tomorrow. That's unfortunately how my mind works. Like you never going to, it's never enough. It's never freaking enough. But that in that moment, you're young, oh. you're ambitious. You have this wonderful encounter with gold bloom, this great audition. And you felt like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think where you're, what you're talking about is, is true. I think two things, I'm sorry that that's how, where your brain goes to. And I really hope that changes. Soon. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, Cause you do deserve that. And then second of all, I think what is interesting about that is there is a difference <laughs> between what, the way I was back in the day when you're really young and your whole life is in front of you and you just feel like the stakes don't matter. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have a house. You don't have a kid. You don't have college around right. the corner. Like no, nothing's, it, it's like on to the next, I feel like to Hollywood, like you have more auditions. Like I would audition 900 times a week. So it's like, who cares if I didn't get that part? I'll get the next one, you know, or it just, but now when you get older, the auditions come fewer and far between and the stakes are higher. And you know, the, the actual, the actual projects are better quality. So you're meeting with higher end people and prestigious projects and, and these people that you really want to impress. Right. So I too. you know, I totally have those moments. You just don't want to shit the bed. I shit the bed. I have shit the bed before. I mean, that's I have a, really painfully. Oh yeah. Been in, yeah. And done that and just been like, Oh my God. 
I mean, do you get, do you, do you have it now or did you have any sort of anxiety before auditions then? Or were you, it sounds like you were a free spirit. You were sort of just going for it every week, all these auditions. But now do you think things have changed where you're like, oh my gosh, everything's on this. I got to be great. I'm getting anxiety. Yeah. The anxiety came later. It always does. Doesn't it? Why? After you've had some success, you think, okay, well, why is my anxiety still here? It should be gone because I've, I've, I've dealt with all this stuff. I'm used to it, but you never get used to it. No, I think that's a great question to ask my therapist, but I have an inkling of an idea and I think it's stakes. It's also if you feel safe on a set or in a, in a, in a scene with somebody, mm. like if they're not a safe person, it's very hard for you. If you don't have chemistry or a genuine um, need to, my dog wants to be on the lap with that's us. That's perfectly fine. Um, this is Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh my gosh, Cristiano. Him. Um, hi, Chris. Very hi. cute. Look at the cute um, dog. So... I think there's how safe you feel. And then I also think, um, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, a myriad of different possibilities. Yeah. I think, you know, definitely when you, especially on set, when you feel safe and you see, feel like everybody's got your back when you feel like the other actor is listening and he's there for you and he wants you to do, be your best. There's something really nice about that. And uh, it's certain- a deal, but we also have to be able to push through when say like, I remember reading a long time ago and this has always stayed with me. Anne Hage was in some like, you know, apocalyptic type movie where like a volcano is going off and like, it's a very integral scene and they have to get it in one shot. And you're in a scene with Harrison Ford, you know, it was like some like massive six special days, seven nights, six days, seven nights or something. Maybe it was. And, you know, like the pressure is on to get it in one take. Yeah. Um, You have to also be reliable, you know, and professional enough to overcome your anxiety. And, you know, I'm just basically trying to avoid those situations at every cost. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, what's crazy is like you were, we always have odd jobs. Like I could tell you, I worked at a grocery store for years. I could tell you that I worked at a, a Petland discounts, uh, cleaning chinchilla shit at 6 a.m., I could tell you that I worked at a go-kart track as a mechanic and a, and a roller rink DJ and all these things. But like, you know, you, you've done some odd jobs. I mean, now you, you waited tables, but you worked, you worked, I guess, in real estate, right? I was a, I worked, in, I was a leasing agent at a, at a place, but that was my least interesting job. I think my best job was I was an aerobics instructor <laughs> and I worked at a video store. <laughs> and then I think. Um, Do they still have aerobics instructors? Can you call them that? Do you ever hear? Oh, you guys want to take aerobics next Tuesday? Oh, I don't think they have that position anymore. It was at a family fitness back in the 90s uh, or, or late 80s, it would have been. And then um, and then what was it? Oh, I, I actually, I know I, I, I am a waitress, but what makes it interesting about when I was a waitress was that it was at my parents' restaurant and my dad fired me. Like, you know you're bad when your dad fires Why you. Why did he fire you? Because he, admit, I was, wasn't trusted worthy enough to work the dinner. Um, so I worked the lunch shift <laughs> and I had a, a table of eight people and a big ass tray with all the food that my, um, my dad was in the kitchen at that for the lunch hour, I guess the chef had called in or whatever. And so he was doing it. He loaded up the tray. I picked up the tray and I went through the kitchen door, which, you know, swings. And just as I was walking out, the swinging door tipped the back of my tray. Cause it was that big. And it was just enough for me to just lose my, my positioning of the tray and everything went on the floor crash. And my dad looked up and he goes, you're fired. He said, <laughs> you're fired on the spot. 
<laughs> now, did he ever apologize to this? Because my father may have said a lot of things and he may have, may have made me feel like crap and dumb and all these things. But did he ever say, I'm sorry for firing? Harsh. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't a, it's not as harsh as it sounded. It, it was like, it was, he was frustrated, but it was, <laughs> it needed to be done. How does it, I mean, there are three ways I could think of as an actor that I would say fired. And you're saying it was pleasant. So he didn't obviously go, you're fired. He said, <laughs> now let's see if I can make, if I could sell it, sweetheart. No, there was no sweetheart. Okay. Forget the sweetheart. It was, it was sort of like, you're a, fired. okay, go ahead. I'm gonna uh, let me see right. if this works. Okay. You're fired. <laughs> it's a really good reading. <laughs> Thank you. It was somewhere between that and like, you know, he looked down, he looked at me, he looked down, <laughs> and then it was just like the inevitable, you know? And he didn't say Give charisma. Give me that reading. Chari That's the inevitable. Charisma, we're not, like, he didn't say charisma, we're going to let you go. He said, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> just... Duh. Like the inevitable, this was bound to happen. And of course, this is what happens. We're done here. You know, like that. Did you cry? No, I laughed. You're like, it was right. He was right. I was relieved. <laughs> to be honest with you, I was relieved. Oh my God. I can't possibly imagine being, you know, I remember my dad trying to teach me to drive a stick shift. And he's like, no, I told you to put your foot. I go, that's it. Get the fuck out of the car. Get out of the car. He is giving me an anxiety attack full on. He raises his voice at everything, everything in the world. Get your books off the counter. Why are they there? I'm like, oh my God, Chris Farley, take it easy. Just like everything. Kitchen's closed. The kitchen was always closed after dinner. Who does that to a child? Oh my God, I just said that to Donovan the other day. <laughs> my son came, came home at like midnight and he wanted me to like make, reheat him some food. He's like, well, you make it very good. No, the kitchen's closed. If you wanted dinner, you should have been here for dinner time. It's like midnight. No, the kitchen's closed. Oh my God. Well, there you have it. Hey, they still making the freaking food. What was your childhood? Did you have a happy childhood? Were your were your parents pretty cool, easygoing? Besides firing you on the spot, <laughs> it doesn't. It wasn't that harsh. I know. Um, I think it was like a mixed experience. My childhood. It was a lot of, you know, it was you know fun. A lot of surrounded by a lot of family, which is you know in some some instances a good thing, and in other instances like less so. Um, but I do have happy memories for sure. Did they support your acting? Chaotic. Your acting. Yeah, they totally. did. 100%, yeah. They were excited to see their daughter as an actress. Yeah. So they would they take you to auditions at a young age, or were you old enough oh, at that no, point? No, 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 no. I no, I was grown. So I grew up uh, as a performer. I grew up in Vegas, and I always uh, dancing was my like first love. Yeah, you were part of a dance troupe. I was a part of a dance troupe called the Young Entertainers. I was a Tarkanian cheerleader for UNLV um, basketball team for their, you know, Jerry Tarkanian. Yep. Um, he's a famous coach. basketball coach in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so I cheered for their basketball team. So I was um, a Tarks, you know, Tark Sharks. I think I was a Tarkanian dancer. Um, I was in pageants, every pageant you could possibly imagine. And um, I was in all the talent shows and, I was at San Genoa Feast. I would perform as an individual and then I'd also perform with my talent troupe. So performing and acting and all of that was just like a second nature for me. So it just kind of makes sense that acting and performing would continue. So, so my parents were, were like, yeah, of course you're going to do that. So you were obviously popular in high school and, and, and elsewhere, right? 
I know it's hard to say like, yes, because a lot of people that are going, I don't want to sound like a, but I mean, you're a cheerleader. You're a pretty girl. You're, you know, you were talented. You were doing all these things. But, but see, I the, all that stuff I did, I did it outside of school. So it's kind oh. of like this music theater nerd. I felt like on the inside, internally, I wasn't like the cool girl. But I think, and like my, you know, I, I think to, people probably knew who I was. I had an unusual name. And yes, I was a cheerleader. And yes, I was up for Homecoming Queen. But like, I wasn't... Um, I don't think I was like everybody's favorite, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, you you had a lot of friends. I mean, I liked my friends. I was happy with my friend group. We I mean, were dancers and, you know, one was like a, you know, future Dartmouth engineer person. And the other one was like, well, danced well enough to be in the American Ballet Theater. And, you know, I had a great group, well-rounded people. Now, I, I mean, I have to ask you about this because it just stunned me when I read it. I talked to you about it before. But the, the whole thing where you're swimming in San Diego with your buddies and this whole thing happened. I mean, we don't have to go into it that much, but like, it's something that just doesn't happen to people. And when it does, it's so shocking to everyone else around you. That was it just one of those things where this guy walks up to you and your friends at the beach? What, what you know, paint the picture here. It's funny that you bring that up because just yesterday, that guy that was released on parole, uh, that beat up that elder woman, the Asian woman. Right. You know, all the Asian hate that's going around. And I was reading about it in the New York Post. It turns out that he had committed murder. He had actually murdered his mother when he was 19 years old in front of his five-year-old sibling, goes to jail and gets out in 2018, I guess, is paroled in 2018, had been living in a homeless shelter. And um, there's no revisit it, revisit um Revitism. How do you say that? I don't know. You don't ask me about these um, words, Ryan. What the hell does that mean? Basically, it's about, you know, it's sort of like helping people not repeat the same thing that uh, they did. Oh, yeah. You know, it helps rehabilitate. It kind of bridges the gap between being paroled and your new life and right. getting reacquainted into society. So there's no revitism. La, la, la. That's embarrassing, but actually kind of funny too. It's a hard um, word, and I've never program. heard of it before. Recidivism? Recidivism? recidivism. I, I think it's recidivism. Um, I would look it up, but I had to hold my computer. Um, so anyway, there's no program, but what I was feeling is that, you know, he, he only got, he, he murdered somebody. Right. And he's not a, you know, in jail for life. And so I think about that and I think about like how much work we have to do in that regard and, and police reform and, and just how unfortunate, like all this is coming up. And I think why this comes up for me too, is that the bystanders that were watching what happened to that um, Asian woman being accosted and assaulted on the, on and violently violated on the street, there were three people on the inside that were watching it happen and they didn't intervene. In fact, they closed the door on her. And that reminds me of what happened to me when I was on the beach, because why it triggers me is because when what happened to me happened, I was running, like it was summer and everybody was um, parked along the freeway, you know, on the beach. And I was running, going to cars, knocking on campers and going from car to camper, pounding, like, help me, help me. And nobody came, nobody came to my rescue. And so the next day, you know, whenever it comes out, like the news is out, 
and I see it on the news and I'm like watching people be interviewed and they're, they've come out in groves there. Everybody's on camera talking about what they saw and what they heard. And I was blown away because I was so hurt because I thought, you know, where were they? When you, where were you when I needed right, you? Right. Well, why? They wanted why to make the news. Me? They wanted to be on the news and they wanted to say I was there and I, I, it gives them some kind of validation, maybe. I don't know, but it really makes me so, so sad. Inside of You is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, I, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried Qualia Synaletic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Quiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? Just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got rocket money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period, it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra. Uh, 
between you know streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Let me ask you. So you're doing all this acting. You're doing all the... I mean, once you start auditioning and things, what was your first break? What was the first thing that all of a sudden you go, that you get, that you get? Um, well, my first job was Baywatch, and I didn't expect to get it. But that wasn't the breakthrough. The breakthrough was when I realized something was happening was apparently I did Baywatch and it aired. And then a agent named Wendy Green, who I think was at Irv Schechter at the time, she represented young people, called me at my home. I don't know how she got my phone number. I didn't have any idea. Maybe she got it from Jeff Goldblum. No, <laughs> but that's a good idea. And um, she called and she said she wanted to represent me. And so I think that was a turning point, you know. Just off Baywatch, she saw you and said, this girl's got something. I guess. And yes. you just did so one I- episode? Was it fun being on a set? Did you shoot in Hawaii? Where'd you shoot? No, we didn't. We shot locally, and all my scenes were with Hobie, the young kid. Was he nice? Uh, at the time, no. He's nice now. 
But so, at the time, no. So what was it? He was cocky. He was like, I'm on Baywatch. Maybe a little bit of that. And I felt he was a little too forward. Mm. And, I, and it was interesting because I was 24 playing 13. So I was playing 11 years younger than myself. And I think when all of that happened, it made everybody nervous because of the age disparity. And they needed to have an advocate on the set. And I just kind of felt like I needed the advocate. Right. <laughs> him. Because um, he was a little bit forward, um, more than I would would have liked at the time. But from what I understand now, and I've bumped into him since then, um, he's grown as a person. So Well, that's good. He was, he was like 13 or 14 at the time. So imagine being on the biggest show in the world. Oh, my god! At gosh. that age, making tons of money. You know, the world is your oyster and everything that comes through, you know. And he was only you know, 13 or 14 when he's filming this? I think so. I think he was around that age. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. I wow. I'm I'm so glad that I had no success until I was, you know, mid-20s. Yeah, because I just, even then I was so, I just was immature. I just, you know, I, I you know, I didn't grow up till, I, I didn't, like, I didn't start puberty till late. I didn't get my first girl till later. I didn't. I wasn't popular. How old were you when you got your first girl? When your uh, first girlfriend? Like, well, I, I think the first time I had sex was maybe when I was 18. But like, I was always like, oh, Rosie's so cute and he's so little. And they pinched my cheeks. And I never grew until like after high school. And then I grew to six feet tall. But I remember going home crying. I swear to God, this is true. I remember crying to my parents going, dad, you're six, five, mom's five, seven. What kind of drugs did you do? Look at me. I'm a fucking short. And I ran up to my room and I remember them laughing, but like, it is laughable, but it's like, I thought I was never going to grow. I thought I was never going to grow. You do not like, I've seen you in person. I thought you were taller than six feet. I'm six on the dot, like 72 inches. You really are? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not any taller. Yeah. But like, I just remember just the insecurities, but like to, to get success at that age, like I don't even how do these people survive? I mean, at least you were 24 years old. At least you were turning into a woman at this point and you had some experience behind you and you had a decent upbringing. Yeah. And then after that, she became your agent and things took off. Yeah. What was, what was next? What was the big thing? Um, I think the next big thing, I think the first big thing, my first series was Malibu Shores. Malibu Shores. Now, now Bay, is it similar to Baywatch? Is it like sort of like a soap opera thing? It was Aaron Spelling, and it was kind of along the lines of a of a show called Canaan Dune Road that didn't end up going, but it was with Carrie Russell, Tony. Um, oh my God, I'm I'm speaking out of what's his name. Essence Atkins was on it. Randy um, Spelling was on it. Um, you know, it was a gr- it was a great great people to be working with. You know, top of their game kind of people. A lot of them. Well, Carrie and, and Tony, they were on um, the Disney. They were Disney kids, the Mouseketeer kids. You know, and during that time when like Ryan and Justin and all those people were coming in, Christina. Wow. Did you ever get starstruck? Did you ever on no. any of these shows? Never. Was it, What was the first time you got starstruck? Um, the first one, I, okay, I'll tell you. It was Last Action Hero, the movie, ironically, that Eliza was in as a kid. Wow. Um, and I was a caterer to the movie premiere <laughs> and, um, I was catering the food 
And then I went on a break and I went around my table and Arnold Schwarzenegger came at me, came towards me to go to the table, I guess, but somebody else had taken over and I'm faced with him face to face. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. I can't speak. He, he's looking at me, expecting me probably to say something. I don't say anything. And then he turns to his people because he had like a, a round of people around him and says, where's the food? And I was like, I lost it. Now, cut to years <laughs> later, I'm at the Expendables world premiere at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas. Arnold and, and Sly are like best friends. We're backstage about to go into to the main stage and, and Arnold's there. And I end up approaching him and going, I met you the, a long, long time ago. You, there's no way you would remember this. And he didn't. But I remember I you catered the food. I was so hungry. I was so hungry. And then um, I said, um, I did want to tell you something. I said, when I was at Playhouse West, one of the, a part of the curriculum was that you had to read 1,500 pages a week oh. and do a book report at the end of every week so that you could learn something and also be able to um, glean from a script the essence of the story, like that you could understand what a story was and you knew what good writing was. So they had a, they had a reading list. But anyway, on, you could also read any autobiography. So I read his and I said to him, you know, one of the l most lasting impressions I had of reading one of your books was when you met um, Maria Shriver's dad, he had asked you, what do you do? And he went to answer and he goes, no, what do you do to help people? And I just thought that was such a powerful thing. Wow. And I've never forgotten it. And while I was talking to him, Rosie, I swear to God, like laser sharp focus. He makes you feel like there's nobody else in the room. He has a, a thing and this, it's not quantifiable. You can't even, I can't even identify what it is, but it is this ability to 110% focus, listen super intently. I don't know what's going on in his mind. Everybody's it's super loud where we were. And it was like super sharp focus on everything I was saying. And he was just, he commented back that like, that was a very memorable, he was like really glad that I read the book and so flattered and yes, and it was an awesome thing. And, you know, he was very, very congenial. And it was, it really made an impression on me. So meeting Schwarzenegger, you, that's, that's the one. I that was starstruck when I met Schwarze Schwarzenegger. And then you read yeah. his book and you got, were you so excited? I bet you were I just like. I read his book when I was a kid. Right. And then you got, you wanted to come up, you, like, you I had something him. to talk about. So many times people will come up to actors or whatever and they're like, hey. But like, it's, it's cool. I, I mean, I love when people have something to say to me. I, I'm very yeah. cool if they don't, but it's nice if they say, hey, I read this. No, I didn't read that because you didn't write a book. Uh, you know, but it's nice. It's definitely nice when they have some kind of like question or something that to say, and it was nice that you got a little starstruck and he gave you his undivided attention. I like that. Yeah, he was great. He was, he was a great, he gives you, he makes you feel heard. That's nice. Yeah. I think that's important to be heard. You know, I've said this before, but like what he said, where Maria Shriver's father said to him, what do you do? No, what do you do for people? Like, what do you do? What do you, like, what importance do you bring? You, do yeah, you know, you it's do? like that saying where it's not what you do on camera to look like, oh, look, I'm so giving, I'm talking to this kid, I'm helping. But what do you do when the cameras are off? 
you know, mm-hmm. that's that shows the real individual. And I think that's really important. And I've learned mm-hmm. from that. I've learned to because you always when the camera's rolling, turn it on, Rosie, you know, be the cheese ball. Oh, look, oh, we're here. But it's when the cameras are off and you could really make a difference, you know. And um, those are the moments that I that the moments that only I know about with certain people or certain kids or, you know, driving out to some family's house to have dinner or and it's just me and nobody else knows except now you. Those are the moments that I'm like, this is this gives you purpose. You know, what gives you purpose? Oh, my God, that's that's. Um, it's such a great question. I feel 2020 really helped me decide that. And um, I think I want to leave a legacy of my, of, I think the one legacy I would want to leave behind for my son would be, you know, several things. I think he gives me purpose in this sense. So it goes back to this. We were in a car once and I was driving him to soccer practice and he was talking about here he could never work a job nine to five, that he's just not cut out for the nine to five life. And I said, yeah, I feel you. I wouldn't do that either. I'm, you know, that's why I love acting and why I get to, yeah, but you know, you don't write the scripts and you don't, you know, do design the sets and you didn't craft the wardrobe, you know, palette and you didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was like completely minimizing what I do for a living. And like something that's super important to me, like that I love doing, like I am so passionate about what I do. I love acting. I can't bridle it. I can't predict it. I don't know how it's going to go. And it's like forever challenging me in that sense. And I love that about it, but he's attacking me and not really holding me like, in like not even acknowledging like how hard it is to even get a job. You and know, how like, old I is he? How old is he when he's saying this? Time, he was, pro- you know, probably 13, 14. Right. Just a little punkish. And <laughs> age. And so he, and I just, well, I said, I went to tell him, you know, you should probably maybe enroll in Yada and get an idea of like what all is involved in acting. Cause it's a lot more, than what you're making it sound to be. And it's a very collaborative thing. And I was kind of like on the defensive and and just saying, you know, before you start casting aspersions of what you think it is, maybe you should have the experience before you kind of put it down. And I said, and I gave the example of like Marlon Brando, like as an amazing as a screenwriter as Francis Ford Coppola is, he did not write what Marlon Brando devised as the character of Don Corleone, like right. putting the mothball, you know, judding the John, doing the voice. That's like pretty he didn't good. Do any of that. You know, Marlon came up with that. So I kind of tried to explain to him the difference between, you know, writing something and bringing it to life to make my point. So anyway, that has been a huge driving force in me. So in 2020, I found purpose in... you know, finding my own path, creating my own project. So based out of my childhood experience as a young entertainer, I wrote a co-wrote a script called the young entertainers or the untitled charisma character project. And I also created another project called Karen gets canceled, which I have, I'm 
I made a deck with my co-creator, Dan Merchant, who's worked on like Z Nation and all these great shows. And um, we're pitching that. We're looking for, actually looking for a black part, a production company to partner with. I'm very passionate about incorporating, you know, everything that we're trying to do in society today, more inclusivity, whether it's LGBTQ people or black talent in front and behind the camera, definitely bringing more diversity into the writer's rooms. You know, this is like, I want to be about it. You know, I really want to be about it. So that gives me purpose. And I created MyCon, as you know, in 2020, which is just sort of like a fan talent connection. I love talking to people. I did it. I love doing it. I love talking to you on it. You're really good at it. You're good at it. Well, you're I'm, so I'm, good at it. And I'm so like, I love the idea of creating something and, if, and a platform for, you know, carefully. I want to curate the group of people, all sci-fi based. I don't, I'm not interested in being cameo. I don't want to have YouTubers like Bagel Boss on there where they're like making money on misogyny and creating, you know, a platform where they giving them an avenue to make money on their misogyny. I, I, that doesn't align with me. So that's why my con is so important to me. And then also it's an opportunity for me to give back to the two charities I care about, which is in Africa. Um, and, um, well, there's project shine, which I care about. There's actually three. I, I don't, um, give, I give privately to project shine, but my con is set up where, um, a percentage of all my sales, total sales, I send to the Ronan Thompson foundation, which is, you know, cancer for kids, pediatric cancer, um, awesome. research. And the other one is called the thirst project, which is how I came to go to Africa at all. And that's bringing water around the world. So those are the things that like give me purpose. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And you know what? The only thing I could think of was when your 13-year-old young man said that to you. I would have been like, this is the difference between you and I. I would have been like, what are you doing? What have you done? What have you done with your life at 13? <laughs> Which is a comedy right there. It's like in his response would be, I'm 13, mom. Not supposed I know, to. he would have actually said that. <laughs> that's what he said. I'm not supposed to do anything at 13. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be doing anything at 13. That's true. Um, but some people at 13 are that way. I wasn't that person at 13. Were you? Did you know that you were going to be do what you do, make a living, no, and then turn no. that into a podcast I never, and have all no. these beautiful relationships? I, I never people? thought I'd be – I don't want to make it sound dramatic, but to say like I had a death wish. But like I, when I was a kid, I never thought I'd survive past high school. I thought 
I just am not going to make it through it. And then I was like, I'm not going to make it in the real world. I just don't, I, I just can't fit in. I can't, I'm not smart enough. I'm, the way I thought was so toxic. And, and I just believe that I didn't belong. And it wasn't until, you know, I found acting really, I just fell into it where Thank I God. felt like I had something like somebody thought I was good at something. And they gave me that attention that I just craved and, you know, needed as a child. And so, you know, I think acting for me, I mean, but I did not have a clue to what I was going to do. I mean, I honestly thought when I graduate high school, I'll pump gas. My mom knew the guy at the gas station at Shell and I would work at Wesselman's Grocery, sacking bags. Maybe that's it. So I thought my, my self narrative was, um, and by the way, isn't that a, a pleasant surprise how your life turned out? Like, I love the stories that you were telling on MyCon when you were talking about um, living with Carrie Fisher at her house <laughs> yeah. and all the people that came through. Yeah. You have a lot of fancy friends. Well, I, I'm a fancy friend person. I really don't have fancy friends. But I, you know, as much as I, I have these, a lot of celebrity friends and I know a lot of people, I don't hang out with them a lot. I, my friends are very just not industry. With, um, Kristen Bell and her husband. Well, Dax is a close friend of mine for a long time, but he was nobody when I met him when we were just, we, we became good friends, but, uh, and then Kristen, I ended up doing a movie with her and Dax, but I, I I wasn't, I've never been close with Kristen, but enough, like if she saw me, she'd give me a big hug and, you know, but we're not like, you know, there's a, there's a loose term in Hollywood and that word is friends. It's, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, I'm friends with so-and-so, I'm friends with so-and-so. Now I'm acquaintances with a lot of people and I like a lot of people doing this podcast. I'm able to actually get to know them more and know, so have some insight. And I think we become better friends or maybe it's more appropriate after I talk to them with this, you know, long conversation that maybe it's possible that you could be friends with them, or maybe you are better friends because you know something about them. But I can't say that I'm friends with people that I don't know. If I just see somebody go, I don't even know your last name, or I don't know where you work. I don't know where you grew up. I don't know. These are things that I, you know, and, and like Ryan, Ryan's a friend of mine. And um, you know, I, I hang out with a group of people that are mostly non-actors. I, I think I don't feel, I, I hang out with a lot of actors. I just don't either. ever feel that. I mean, I do have actor friends. I'll go to a Laker game. I'll do these things, but I never felt like I fit in that's still to this day. I, uh, I could pretend you wouldn't know. Yeah. But it's really interesting you say that because everything that I like my, my impressions when I first met you, uh, and really spent the most amount of time with you. I think we were in Philly. We might've been in Philly. At a, at a convention, yeah, yeah. And we were in the van together and chatting, and you're like, you got to come on my podcast. And I was like, I'd love to come on your podcast. And then, like, it's taken us three years to make it happen. But <laughs> it, but I remembered really at that point hitting it, turning the corner, because my impression was that you were a bit of a womanizer. Sure, sure, sure. Kind of. Um, if you knew me when I was early twenties and probably I didn't. No, no, no. This is just like I didn't know you. I didn't actually ever even see you in person. This is just sort of I don't even know. Oh, why it's I rumors. Rumors. See, we gotta be careful about rumors because yeah, I hear things. I don't think I was like necessarily in a position to be talking about you. So I don't know if it was rumor. I just I don't know where it came from. I don't remember ever having a conversation about you and somebody saying anything disparaging about you because I don't think that ever happened. Oh, I'm sure I just it did. probably just got this vibe that, you know, you're you're kind of into, you know, you know, womanizing and um 
you know, not to be taken too seriously. You don't take women seriously. You're probably not a good listener. And it's like all those preconceived ideas are out the window. Cause when I start to talk to you, I realize like, you know, you're, you're an easy, you're easy to laugh with. You're easy to talk to. Um, you're really sweet. Um, you care about people. You actually have a podcast where you are forced to listen to people. <laughs> so clearly yeah, you listen that, to people. Yes, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, like just it's just been such a great eye-opening experience for me because I really probably would never I if you ever had an impression of me, it was probably like ice queen, like because I just just you're just my idea of who I thought you were was just, you were not somebody I really wanted to get to know. I, see, I think that goes with a lot of people. Like there's people on TV shows that I go, Oh, I hear that guy's an asshole. He's a douchebag. And I'm like, who am I to judge? I haven't met this person. I don't know this person. And we all do it. We all no, do it. I could see you on the plane. You would be very fussy, you know, about like, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know if it was like a window or a seat. You're fit. I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Very, I'm claustrophobic. I can't sit in the window. That, and you were like talking to the stewardess and needing things and like <laughs> on the phone at the same time with a girl FaceTiming on the plane, which I thought was so rude. And I was just like, I just was watching you just going, you're Linus. All I see is just like a lot of dust. just like noise, you know, wow. like, like that. I just had these horrible... <laughs> Well, you, you can't judge a book by its cover. And by the way, by the no, way, no, this is totally true. I was completely just determined to just have the, you know, and that says a lot for, you know, my judgments and who I am, you know, like how much growing I need to do and have done, you know, to just be open to, to see and experience you in a different way. Yeah. And I'm so pleasantly surprised. Um, well, like, it's funny you say that because I, you know, I look, I always thought you were, like, I was like, I don't know. She doesn't like people. She's she's kind of distant. She's cold. She's, I don't know. She seems like she might be difficult. These are all things that I thought of. And then I started talking and I'm like, wow, she's, uh, she's cool. Because I didn't know you, but I, you know. We oh. don't know each other. Exactly. We all like to think, about. especially young. Look, look, to say, to sit here and say that I, you know, I'm perfect. I'm beyond imperfect. But. And I own up to it, but like, you know, in my twenties, talk about a lost soul. I was like a little puppy dog looking for love in all the wrong places, looking to get attention, look to looking at some kind of fulfillment in my life. And thank God, you know, my thirties rolled around and I started to meet more mature women who I ended up having long relationships and becoming great friends with and growing as a human being. And that's a decision you make. You, you make that decision to either continue going on in a way that you just seem lost or you go, I, I am going to explore who I really am and no matter how dark and how ter yeah, difficult that is. But not a lot is. of people like to go there. I and don't. Nobody I, and wants I don't. to go to the dark side. I don't. Nobody wants to do that work. Believe me, I not don't. A lot of people, not nobody. Obviously you do and, and I really <laughs> have. But um, Well, yeah. you're sweet for saying nice things. No, you. I said a lot of things that I... That weren't so nice. Well, you know, I mean, but those were a lot about where my head was at. I was very judgy. Exactly. Very but that's judgy a, of you. That's I'm sorry. okay. That's okay. Look, I'm sure a lot of look, here's the reality. If you're a guy or a girl and you break up with someone or you don't want to see them anymore or whatever, you're an asshole. You're a douchebag. You're a womanizer. And if you're a girl and you don't and you don't call the guy back, you don't give him another chance, you're a bitch. And it's just like this cyclical thing that goes on and on into time about how bad everybody is. 
But how about 99% of the time you don't end up with the right person? 99% of the time. And the 1% time you do, you end up getting a divorce. That's, that's a harsh reality in the world. So, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You can't be the best guy to everybody, but you can do, you do the best you can and you hopefully learn from it. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> I think twice I didn't get it right. So you were divorced twice. Mm-hmm. No, you weren't really. Mm-hmm. Well, did you? How much did you learn from that? And how horrible is it to go through a divorce? Or is it the second one easier? The second one was like so easy. It was a minimum. <laughs> it was six. It was six months. He didn't want anything. I didn't want anything. And it was just like dissolve. Wow. No, no drama, nothing. It was super simple. Why can't all divorces be like that? I hear the worst things in the world. The first divorce is hard. It was heartbreaking. And how do you get through it? Um, I mean, I had a, a son. I, you know, friends, your family. I have an amazing family. My family is so, so supportive. They're, in fact, it was so bad. My, stepmother and my dad have uh have a son you know my stepbrother his name is rob he rob's gay and rob had a partner at the time his name was marshall and my parents parents had a family meeting there over there in indiana and marshall said he was gonna my parents said that they wanted to fly marshall to come and stay with me to help me like you know go through the divorce, not him help me with the divorce part, but just like help me manage. Like I was having trouble eating. I couldn't sleep. I, you know, I was devastated. Yeah. But that's a good family. The logistics of it all and, you know, meet with lawyers and, you know, um, paperwork and like looking at, all the things that I had, I had to put on my business hat and kind of put my heart aside and, and just look at it like that and then deal with the emotional fallout after. And that was kind of like hard to do to manage it all. Well, and I just yeah. remember one day when I went to pick up my son from kindergarten, he had the sweetest teacher and I went in to see her and she looked at me and she, I don't know why she just gave me this big hug. And it was like, I don't know if you can imagine like the, she was like um, a heavier set woman and she had an accent and she was always so sweet. And she just gave me this hug and I, she must've been intuitively new to hug me. And I just broke. Like it just, because I was staying strong for my son. I didn't want to cry in front of him. I didn't want to like, and I, I, and it was the, you know, my husband at the time was the love of my life at that point. And I just couldn't believe this was happening. And I couldn't ever, I didn't really have time to deal with it emotionally. And when she hugged me, I just, it was so unexpected because I'm not a hugger. Um, unless it's on my terms, like, unless we have like a really close friendship, like I just didn't, I, it would, it wouldn't normally be something that I would want right, or necessarily want to receive, but you needed it I, in that time, in that moment, you I needed did. that. And she knew yeah, it and yeah. she just held me. And I just, well, you know what? I think that that's the weirdest thing. I, I, I try to play it like I don't have emotion sometimes, or I'm not going to let this get to me. And it's the little 
It's the little things that just can trigger an emotion. Yeah. And the, the, the friend that you didn't think you'd break down in front of, the least likely character, or the, the, that moment that you just didn't expect, and it's just the right time. It's, it's on your watch. It's like your emotional watch. It's almost like it, it goes, it ticks, it has its, you know, it ticks by itself. It's like it, it, it's gonna, the alarm's gonna go off when it goes off and it's not telling you. And something, something so sweet or subtle can just open up the floodgates. And that that's happened to me many a time where I I have to leave the room because I'm I can get so emotional. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten so emotional just from a kid from the Ronald McDonald house. I remember um I was fine. I acted fine. And then I started telling the story to one of my friends. And I was just like, yeah, and he was just so sweet. And then he's just gonna, gonna out the suit. Like, oh my God. Oh my fucking God. And I was just a mess. Like, I was like, it just hit me. I was like, why am I crying in front of you? I'm telling a story. I got so mad at myself. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I'm doing this. And like, no, no, it's totally cool. And they were like, oh my God, Rose Mums, you know, but they were cool. And, uh, but anyway, thank you for sharing that. That's, you know, there's, there's definitely been a couple of times where I've had loss and, you know, I know that I know from talking to friends who have had divorces it is a loss. It is like, it's like losing somebody. It's like a death. Am I right? Um, it really, I really feel like, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll get, uh, yes. I feel like that was very, very hard. It was very hard. All right. This is the fun time of the, the trip. I mean, we could talk about a couple of things, but this is shit talking with charisma carpenter. This is um rapid fire. Um, except sure. this first question, Lauren W no question. Just want to high five you, Charisma, for standing up for everyone that had to endure a toxic work environment. Those of us too scared to do so applaud you. That's sweet. I mean, I'm sure you were like going, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about this. But you knew I was going to talk about a little. It's pretty much out there. But, you know, I keep thinking it's like, you know, this was the same time I was doing probably Smallville and you're doing Buffy and Angel and all this stuff. And I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I'll never know what it's like to be a woman. And it's fucking hard. I could tell how hard it is and you, how people look at you. And what was it, the, the thing that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back that felt, you felt like this is toxic? Like that, I mean, there's probably little things along the way, but what, what is it that, is it, you know, because I'm not really, I, I don't know a lot about this other than that it was a toxic work environment and a lot of people supported you and said, yes, it was. And I was like, oh, wow. And I don't really know the inside scoop other than um, I know some issues when you were pregnant and things like that. Um, and it just sounded awful, but I just wanted to hear it from you. Yeah. Um, I'm not too keen talking about it because I think, I think honestly, I was really descriptive with my letter for that reason, you know? And so like when it all kind of happened, I was getting a lot of invitations from you know, like the Today Show or The View or like all these people, Gail King, you know, calling to have a conversation about it. And I really wanted to be clear that um, this wasn't about publicity. This isn't about a publicity tour to kind of like, you know, share my air, air my grief, you know, like yeah. laundry or whatever, in the sense that it's a, that it's because people and the world at large based on my own social media um, are cynical of that kind of stuff, 
You know, they think that that's why you're saying it. You know, they think that that's what's happening. And I think, um, you know, it's disappointing to hear that, that, that the, that's where the head goes. Um, but I'm sure in some cases that has happened. So it's fair, but, um, I just really feel like I said everything that I needed to say. And it took me two weeks to write that letter and every word choice, you know, I had a typo in there, which still bugs me, but like, what was the typo? (laughs) You worry about a typo. People don't worry about it. But like, it literally, like I worked so hard editing it, crafting it, saying this, not saying that, what do I want to say? What, you know, what instances should I choose to say? Like, I really said everything I could have possibly wanted to say on the subject there. And it was very articulate. I mean, it really spoke volumes and did did it feel like it was like an elephant out of the room, like, or, you know, the monkey off your back. Like you felt like once you did it, it felt really just good to get it out there because it's something that had been bottling up for so many years. Um. Actually, it was really stressful. It was really stressful the the two weeks knowing that it was coming, that I was crafting it. Then when I had to push post, that was really stressful. I thought literally I was going to lose my bowels in my bed. Um, <laughs> I'm, I honestly I'm sure, thought I'm sure. I was going to do that in a whole other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like quite literally, I had gurglies and you know, and I think that's kind of like. Two, I had to do it because I knew how it made me feel. And I knew I was taking a really big, really big risk by saying this because, you know, I go to cons all the time and, you know, it's a great deal of my income and these days. And I was really putting myself in a position to alienate my fandom and speaking out against the creator of my show where I go to these conventions and people walk with t-shirts on their backs saying like, Joss Whedon is my God. So I was really afraid of insulting them, offending them, alienating them. And I really had no idea that coworkers were gonna, like I really never imagined Sarah saying anything or like I was really, really, just as shocked as everybody like you just yeah said, so everybody just your work when your coworkers were saying shit then you're like wow i i did not see that i i thought maybe deadline would pick it up i i had no idea you had no expectations you just thought i want to do this because i want to do this and no i wanted to do for ray i think it's easier to advocate for other people than for yourself and i knew certainly 20 years ago that wasn't an option so well, I, I, I appreciate it. I saw it. 20 years later that the same person was doing the same things. You know, I, I had grown, um, I had met Ray at a con. We became very good friends through a con. And, you know, that's how, how it all happened, how our conversation kind of started and how our, how then like three months later, he last summer said what he said. And then he like, my name on on social media and then I was like really under pressure and I want wanted to do something behind the scenes you know in, in my own time yeah and when he was let go from the cyborg role cyborg role I 
that was that was it. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and we don't we don't have to talk about it, but it was a good way of talking around it about look, you said everything you said in the in the tweet. If you guys want to read her tweet, it's pretty freaking powerful. And a lot of other actors from the show stepped up and supported her. And I think that's pretty fantastic on its own. Uh th- this is quick, really quick. Raj, who are some people you felt tried to make the work environment on set a positive experience? Who are some but people that you just loved working with? I mean, most people I enjoyed working with. There wasn't like you know, um, my, who I had the most fun with was Nikki because we had a lot of scenes together as lovers and he is naturally very funny and he has a a great sense of humor. And so, you know, I had a lot of fun working with him in the early years. Little Lisa, did you take any props or wardrobe from Buffy or Angel? So many. (laughs) Did you really? I take so many. You're like me. That's what I do. I'm the only one that takes props from my set. No, I have my chair. You have the chair that I, you were telling me about. Oh, I have, the, I have yeah, my yeah. chair. I have my trophy. I have my burnt certi- um, grad, uh, high school diploma. I have a lot of clothes. I got rid of a lot of clothes, but I still have my Benetton lime green trench coat that I wore. Um, <laughs> I have my teddy bear and, from Bad Egg. Um, I have... Just I like have me. So You're just like I me. I have every single script with every single note I ever made. Um, in every script saved in these ink preserving boxes. Um, I save and keep everything. I'm not quite Sylvain Moon Fry. Did you see her documentary? No. Very powerful. 90s kid. All right. I'm going to watch. I was told to watch it. Very, I'm going to watch it. Very, very powerful. All right. She knew a lot of people. She had a lot of fancy friends too, like you. Oh, stop and, it. Um, <laughs> she, she filmed everything. So like I didn't film anything, but I kept a lot of and took a lot of pictures. I like that. I like that because we're kind of like kids in a candy store. This is it's an exciting thing to do when you're on a set. It's like, you know, I always feel that and I want to I want to take something home. I want to take a picture. I'm going to remember it. And like other actors like, no, I don't have pictures. I don't have autographs. I don't have. You look around my house like a museum, like in certain rooms. That's just who I am. I think that's amazing. I mean, I don't have it on display, but maybe someday I will. Look, this has been a blast. I, I, I've learned so much freaking about you now that I didn't, I just didn't know, you know, it's like, like you were talking about all this stuff and places you've been and people you knew and experiences you had and your insecurities and we could go on. You were, you thought, I thought that you thought that you were this good, you know, and you were out there just like getting the girls and. You well, know, that's not, ones, I mean, it was like, so sweet to see like how you're like, just like me, please. Well, look, it's not like I, look, I, I went out with girls. I went, look, you're young, you're in Hollywood. You're going to go out with a lot of girls unless you're an idiot. You're good. I mean, and look, not an idiot, but like, I'm, I'm a lost young guy from Indiana who was the only one to get out and do something was so immature and I was just like, oh my God, it's a kid in a candy store. They're giving me free stuff and there's girls and there's, um, of course. Did you ever sleep with anybody you worked with on Smallville? Never, did you, never, right? never, yeah, never, 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 never. There was a very, there's a, a lot of respect on that set. There was always, I mean, did we, there was some flirts. Sure. People flirted. There's pretty girls. There's cute guys. Most of the guys I think I flirted with more, you know, it was just, it was that, you know, that you don't shit where you eat. Have I think you ever that, been that, with a guy? No, 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 no. I, I I have lots of gay friends, but I'm not gay. Um, I made out with uh, Jason Isaacs in Sweet November, 
it wasn't scripted, but we made out in the back in the scene and the director's like, Mike, that's very nice, but we don't need that. You don't have to kiss or anything because we're not really seeing you on camera. So you're wasting the French kiss off camera. Anyway, we, but Jason Isaacs and I did, we kissed and I have no issues with that. I'm very comfortable with my sexuality. Um, a lot of gay friends, uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't care about that stuff, but, uh, no, I've never been with a man. Um, no, that's not my thing. Lady. Uh, I think I have been a lady. <laughs> you say lady. <laughs> a lady. Well, let I'm me see. Like, <laughs> um, I could talk to you forever. So another time, but thank you so much th- for is, being flexible with me today. Honestly, I got my vaccine. yes, um, this has been awesome. And you look fantastic. You were saying, honestly, when you text me and you were like, you were saying you were 50, which you could look up. It's not like it's a lot. I honestly, Ryan, on my mother's life, may I drop dead? You could pass for like early 30s. No. What I'm looking at right now, I'm telling no. you, early 30s. I'm not, I, 50 is, have you seen 50-year-old women? I mean, sure. I just yeah. don't think you, I'm, and this isn't me hitting on you. This is as a friend. And she's, she's 50. She was hot. I'm like, just saying you she don't really look great. freaking 50. Anybody, Thank you. I could argue with anybody on Thank that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's kind of you. I think you look great for, you know, 42. 49 in July. Yeah. I'm getting there. See? I'm getting you there. You even look 42. Oh, yeah, right. You deserve well. It must have been all the alcohol when we were 20s. Yeah. Jeez Louise. All right. Look, I, lo- I love you. I wish you the best. And uh, thank you for doing this. You're very kind and you're very brave and I appreciate you. Thank you, friend. Lovely episode. Very nice. Very nice uh, talking to Charisma. And it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting her to get on the show for quite some time. We used to, I mean, she was on the WB for a long time. I was in the WB for a long time. And uh, we never really hung out a lot. We just kind of knew of each other. Like we talked about, yeah. like, yeah, I heard you were kind of like, you know, let me let me tell you, it's not defending myself, but you know, when, I'm, when you're in your twenties and you're in Hollywood, mm. there's nothing wrong with going to parties and having a good time and meeting the ladies, especially when you're my, when you're me growing up who didn't go out with girls really and was the smallest kid in my high school. I definitely had fun, um, but you know, I was younger, and you know, that's that's the way it goes. I think I think I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's amazing how people think certain things about people because mm-hmm. they hear, oh, he's a player, or he, you know, mm-hmm. you know. I always consider a player someone who tries, does whatever he can to, you know get the girl, get laid. Yeah. I never was like that. I was always just very honest. I'm mm-hmm. not the kind of guy that's going to go, I love you. I really think we got something here. I'm not like that. I've never been like that. And I don't lead people on like that. You didn't read that book. What was it called? Or there was that book on picking 13 up and being a dick. <laughs> what is it? Uh, what was that, that book on how to pick up women? I never read a book on picking up women. Was, I think it was called something like the game or something. Yeah. It was like something that a lot of guys tried to do. I never... I think it was just, uh, you know, the reason I'm single all these years is because, or I, I've been in relationships three years here, two years here, but, you know, you look at my dysfunctional family and my sister who's divorced four times, my mom's in her third marriage, not to say it's not a happy marriage now, my dad, just when I look around, I just, I grew up, I didn't feel a, a sense of safety. And so marriage isn't a word that I associate safety with or like comfort. So until I meet someone that I uh, just feel comfortable and uh, who knows, maybe I will get married. I mean, I think I'd who knows? Nobody knows. Who's to say? Uh, thank you for listening, guys. I appreciate you. And please subscribe, as I told you in the beginning of the show. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, etc., etc. 
If you want to listen to the band on May 29th, we got two shows. Go to sunspin.com. Also got merch. You can get Zooms. Uh, if you like the podcast and want any great swag, go to the Inside of You online store. And uh, if you want to join Patreon, go to patreon.com slash inside you. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash inside of you. Uh, the handles are at inside of you pod on Twitter. pod on Twitter at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook, Facebook. and uh, also follow the band sunspin at sunspin band on all socials. Another good week, Ryan. Every week that we're here is a, is a good week. We're good. alive. Spring is <laughs> springing. Spring is springing. Spring is springing. I Day, like it. Days are looking nice. Yeah, I've been taking Blanche to the dog park a lot. That's good. She really loves that. It's so fun to see her so happy. And, you know, I, I could feel like in the beginning for the first couple of weeks with her of losing her, her buddy, mm-hmm. her brother, you know, we were both kind of upset. And I could just tell that she was just a little bit off, but like I just tried to keep her busy, try to keep her busy, give her lots of love and know that, you know, because mm-hmm. when she, when I leave now, there's not, it's not her and Irv together. It's just her. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, you know, I didn't want her to feel. So I try not to leave her. My friends are like, hey, let's go out of town. I go, it's limited, mm-hmm. limited for the first month or two before I am able to do that, I yeah. think. Uh, let's go right at it. Uh, keep listening. I love you. Here are the big patrons, the top tier patrons who uh, give so much of the podcast. All my patrons do, but uh, these people give a little bit more and I will give them their shout outs because I love them and they deserve it. Nancy D, Mary B, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Lauren G, Nico P, Robin S, Jerry W, Robert B, Jason W, Apathian, Kristen K, not to be confused with. Kristen Crook. Amelia O. Allison. Hell. Yes, man, you, you baffle me. I know you look at these, but <laughs> I, I can't do all these last names. Lucas M, Raj C, Joshua D, Emily S, CJP, Samantha M, Jennifer N, Jackie P, Stacey L, Carly H, Carly S. Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B, Carrie B, Tabitha 272, not to be confused with. Tabitha 273. Ashley Ryan, Kimberly E, Mike E, Marissa Naniarello, Ed, Ed Sullivan, El Don Supremo, Dan 99 more, <laughs> Ramira, Santiago M, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Ray A, Maya P, Maddie S, Kendrick F, Ashley E, Shannon D, Matt W, Belinda N, Kevin V, James R, Chris H, Dave H, Samantha S, Spider-Man, Chase, Sheila, G, Ray, H, Tabitha, T, Tom, N, Suzanne, B, oh my gosh, Katie um, F, Liliana A, Michelle K, Marcus W, Marcus, thank you. You know, sometimes people say, hey man, you know, I can't support you this month or whatever, and I'm just baffled that they even have to write that. I just, really nice. I love you guys no matter what. If you just listen to the podcast, that's enough. If you if you can't afford to be on Patreon, I I, I love you just as much, and I, it really means a lot to me. So, Marcus, thank you, and thank you to everybody who continue to support me, who can't support me anymore. Whatever it is, you're still loved. Hannah B, Michael S, Talia M, Lucas H, Andrew T. And this is the last list right here. We got Betsy D, Claire M, Liz J, Laura L, Chad L, Rochelle, Nathan E, Brandel, Brandel, Taylor K, Neil A. There's a cuckoo clock. Did you hear that, Neil? That's for you. Marion, Meg K, Janelle P, Trav L. It's actually Trav L. Yeah. Trav L. Travel. Yeah. Dan N, Jennifer J, Wayne M, Diane R, O, Jetta Lorraine G, Olga C, Corey M, Carrie H, Veronica K, Big Stevie W, Kendall T. Lindsay M, Carol T, Carol D, Katie G, Sandy B, Angel M, Eric C, Rhiannon C, Stephen M, Corey K, 
Super Sam, Emily K, Sherry S, Coleman G, Michelle A, Riley J, and Liz L. You guys are all rock stars. I appreciate the hell out of you. Thanks for listening today. Please listen tomorrow and every other day. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, I wish you nothing but health and happiness. And be good to one another. Be good to yourself, most importantly. Uh, Get therapy if you need it. Um, Like I said, you know I do. So that's that from uh, Michael Rosenbaum here. And Ryan Tay is over here. In the hills of Hollywood, California. California. Ryan, look at the camera up there. Give a little wave. We love you. Thank you, each and every one of you, for allowing me to be inside of you all these times. And continue listening to the show and uh, make me happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll see you around. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.